0: And welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host. And man, I have got a really, really special guest on today. We've been trying to coordinate this for a while and we finally did it. I want to welcome my friend Melanie Klein to the show. Melanie, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, Ken. Hello, everybody. <laughs> happy You're <Monday>. awesome.
0: <laughs> yes. And happy new year absolutely happy new year to you new year new me
1: (laughs) i you know i love that you actually said that because sometimes that can actually send a really jacked up message to people and i had a wonderful woman dr salisa flores who wrote a great blog recently called um, new year, same me. And I think there's a lot to be said for we can show up and do new things, but not make the old us wrong. So that's already my first tidbit I'm gonna throw out there for you today. Ken. <laughs> uh, I love
0: it. I love it. So, so, you know, I created this show about a year and a half or so ago, uh, maybe almost two years, Jeez. Um, and you know, it's really been about giving back to the world and and helping people get unstuck. And I know you mm-hmm. do that. I do that. I want to I want to talk about you today, though. I want to start with like where you were born and raised. I know you're out in sunny California, right?
1: I am. I am. And I can see
0: the sun peeking behind the thing over there. Yep. <laughs> I'm in Ohio. The sun shines here like three days out of the year. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, definitely live vicariously. I just like had to close the curtains because it is so bright today, actually, that uh, it would have uh, messed up our lighting today. But yeah, it's it's beautiful here in yeah. Santa Monica. So,
0: so talk about where you are, um, where you were born and raised.
1: Yeah, and you know, and before I do, I just want to say, Ken, I I absolutely adore that you have created this uh, show. You know, like you said, real people, real talk to help others get unstuck. Because I firmly believe that one of the most powerful things that we have is our own personal narrative. When we can connect to the hearts and minds of other people and we can see ourselves, our struggles, our obstacles reflected. Um, So just, I really appreciate that you offer this platform for folks. So, um, I
0: love, I love doing it. I get so much energy from it like good mm-hmm. energy people reaching out going man that guest you had on said blah 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 and it changed my life and and you know just i love waking people up and i know you do too
1: yes i do so yeah and and i think that goes back to you know like you said where where was i born and raised and how did i kind of get here um so i was born in los angeles and yet when i was six months old went um to germany with my mother who is german and we moved there and i lived there for the first six years of my life and then we ended up coming back to the united states something that i definitely did not want to do i was very happy living there with my extended family and i think that was my first big um hiccup was moving to this country um, or back to this country i should say so you know different culture uh, different family, family dynamics, um, just everything was so much of a shock to me that I think I became very quickly interested in sort of how people live and how not every society lives the same way and how there's different values. And so there was a sort of keen awareness that already began when I was very young. And then when I was eight, I started um, actually flying by myself um, back and forth to Germany as an unaccompanied minor. So I'd go on, yeah, I'd, I'd go on the airplane by myself, you know, in the, the, at the time. To the, the U.S.? Plane. Uh, but yeah, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, my mom came in one night, um, you know, after we had moved to Los Angeles and found me crying in bed and asked me, you know, why I was upset. And I said, you know, I missed my family in Germany. And then she asked me, how long have you been upset? How long have you been crying in bed? And I told her I'd been crying in bed for weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yep. So she was like, OK, I think we need to do something. And so apparently she and my grandparents made an arrangement. And I would spend the school year with my parents. And then I would spend the entire two to three months of the summer break with my uh, living with my grandparents and you know, being with my aunt and uncle and everyone. So I started doing that at a very young age, which was also super unusual. Um, and it wasn't done out of the sense of entitlement, like I am, you know, this sort of young child who travels to Europe for the summer, right? It was very much came from a working class blue collar family um, that realized it was very important for me to be in both places. And so it was just the norm for me to live in two different places, two different cultures, speak two different languages. And to be quite honest, also um, not only raised with two cultural, different culturally value systems, but my parents and my grandparents were so different that i very quickly was moving back and forth between these different lifestyles and ways of seeing the world and while there was definitely some confusion and led to some of the obstacles in my life uh, certainly it gave me a perspective on um you know all the different ways that we can live all the different ways that we can relate as people and i feel like it gave me the opportunity to pull some of the best qualities from all the six adults that raised me my parents mm-hmm. my grandparents my aunt and uncle and I'm that, sure that Wow, yeah.
0: you speak German too.
1: Yeah, my son goes to a German school. He's 10 and he went to a German preschool and he goes to a German immersion school here in Los Angeles. So very it was very important for me to continue to have my own son have the you know the benefit of living uh biculturally if you will and wow. so I took him for the first time when he was about 10 months old to Germany. We've gone every year and he speaks German and writes and reads in German and yeah gosh national school where not only do they have german immersion but spanish and the kids come from all sorts of different countries and backgrounds it's really wonderful
0: wow that's incredible i've only known and i would never put you in the same category but i i know one other german woman (laughs) she's a much 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 older lady and her Mm -hmm. her and her husband were clients of mine years ago Uh He was such a hat, he's just a happy go-lucky, super nice guy. They're from Germany, but live mm-hmm. in the US. And she was not like at all. Like she was just this stout, not. I mean, I think I made her smile once, and I don't <laughs> make people smile. I was like, I-, I think I said something like, you know, if you smile, your face might chatter, and she smiled. <laughs>
1: Well, I have to say, you know, um, yeah, that's the thing, very different culturally in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, Americans, uh, even when I would come back after months away, the affect is so much more effusive, even in restaurants, it was like, whoa, like, very, very different. And I think that's part of the benefit, you know, there is a lot of rigidity uh, in a lot of different ways uh, there. And that's actually why my mother who is German, left and came to the United States and was like this young hippie in the late 60s, early 70s who wanted to leave conservative Germany. And yet what I found is like that that, and that helped temper, um, yeah. I think what could have been a very like linear approach and at the same time gave oh. me a really wonderful container where my parents were much more loosey goosey, were not very structured, and so that's what I mean by having that uh, experience of growing up in two countries with two different, you know, value systems and really different sets of adults. I was able to, you know, kind of give a little more of a container to the looseness of what my parents um, had going on at home, and it gave me a little more, uh, I would say, you know, a little bit of flow and ease. Um, that would temper some of the rigidity, and so in that way, I think I was also an anomaly to both cultures as well. But yeah. um, I feel like it's benefited me in the long run, even though there were a lot of times where I definitely did not feel that I, I that I fit in when I moved to the states. You know, as a kid, yeah. I definitely was like, ah, yeah, I, I'm definitely different. There's <laughs> something different going on here. <laughs>
0: Well, you're you're a kind German woman. Thank you very much. <laughs> Actually, you've changed my entire perception of the German women.
1: <laughs> I love it because that is part of what I like to do. I love to shatter paradigms. And you know, I'm, I'm gonna
0: get I'm gonna get hate mail from German women now.
1: <laughs> I, I was thinking, I'm like, you might get some flack for that, Ken, but I know know you can handle it. And like I said, I really like to. I, you know, as a, as a woman and as a sociologist a women's studies professor, and as a coach, I love shattering, um, stereotypes and paradigms that we have, you know, is really like, how can we think outside of that box and see something different? So I'm glad that you've had that experience with me today already.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I had that experience with you in San Diego when we were both out there. So, um, so like growing up, you know, I've always, I mean, look, you already know this. I think that I, I know this and, and you know, I can't scientifically prove it, but I think that what goes on with us humans as children, the adults around us and the teachers, the preachers, the nuns, the rabbis, the everybody that's in in a mm-hmm. child's life kind of, I don't want to say dictates, but but helps form what that person becomes as an adult. Right. And Mm -hmm. so with you, and I, I'm not saying like, you know, maybe your parents said you're going to be a doctor and you were a rebel and you're like, no, I'm going to be a homeless person instead. And, <laughs> right. So, so I'm not, so it could go the opposite uh, also. Sure. Right. So, sure. so with you, what do you feel like from childhood? Because that's really like, that's seriously diverse. I mean, you, yeah. you experienced two completely different cultures. What do you feel from childhood kind of, paved the way for what you became as an adult
1: first of all i love that question as a sociologist i just completely geek out on it because you know obviously you're saying it in in different languages than i would so uh i'm going to put it in my language and answer that question at the same time you're really talking about socialization right the process of socialization how How does our identity become formed how does our sense of self become formed in this social environment and all the people and groups that you know have an influence on us and i think people forget that it's sometimes not just the obvious things you know people think about parents and they think about like you know oftentimes maybe religion and 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 the media but it's it's really it's everything around us you know our neighborhood who we interact with in the neighborhood um our peer group plus yeah. the media, all those things together, overtly and covertly, or in obvious ways and subtle ways, begin to kind of, you know, create all of those imprints um, over and over again that allow us to form our sense of self and the way that we see the world. And so for me, you know. First and foremost, it's very obvious that being in two different places and having those different value systems. And to be honest, going to school, I went to school in Germany in kindergarten. And then I I did that in the States as well, like having those different systems educationally and different peer groups. And of course, uh, what I had access to in the media was very different. Um, I grew up in a country that at the time we didn't even have television available 24 hours a day. uh there there was only you know certain programming at certain times a day so all of that had an impact and then i would say um really the most formative thing would be my maternal um grandparents mm. in terms of they were very solid um dynamic uh people um very uh, truly incredible people i have to say my grandmother uh, was not the average woman of her time either and um, you know, it was when I was around twelve or thirteen, it came out that she had been married prior to my grandfather. And I was like, "What? You were married to someone else?" And it turned <laughs> out that she actually uh, she was an American woman in the late forties who had married a Welsh um, sailor because she wanted to escape her very sort of oppressive um, household with her father. Yeah. And uh, she was one of the first to sail over on the Queen Mary. And when she went to Wales, where they were living at the time, it came out that she was going to um, be expected to not go to university and be, learn how to be a proper Welsh housewife so she ended up um fleeing (laughs) her first husband had to file a missing persons report because she decided i am not going to do this she she fled her husband yeah she left and she went to london and was working at in a travel agency and she was an artist in london and um at that point you know there was just so much you know the war was still going on there was so much going you know there was so much upheaval if you will she said it was a very exciting time that she'd come from a very proper white anglo-saxon protestant household her father was a self-made successful businessman and there were certain dictates about what a young woman like her was expected to be and she essentially was like f that the war is a great excuse to do what i want and at that time she met my grandfather Who was a German prisoner of war at the time. And uh, they met. And then she ended up saying, Well, you know what? I'm going to, when he was released, um, she smuggled herself into Germany at a time when Americans were not allowed. And she was the first uh, woman at that time to marry a German POW after the war. And there were newspaper articles all over. I have copies of them. And so when she told me about being married to this her first husband the Welsh uh soldier and she brought out the newspaper articles i had no idea my grandparents were just like regular folk right but when i read that i i was just so astounded and you know in retrospect it's like even before i knew my grandmother there was there was something special she had something really regal and exciting and adventurous about her she nowhere where she went was she the average woman of the time meaning she didn't you know fulfill the expectations so um being spending so much time with her was i think one of the most profound influences and the fact that my grandfather also very much was excited by and loved that she was kind of um wild if you will (laughs) you know and uh, so there was a lot of permission in that household to really uh, explore myself as a woman uh there was an expectation that i would you know th- that i was smart that i was artistic that i could be adventurous and it was not necessarily always said uh you know forthrightly but it was implied i could see that and that's what i mean by that both overt and covert socialization yeah and so i i think that um that really kind of set the stage for who i became today uh, i even think back when i was i think 12 my grandmother said let's just go on a let's go on an adventure and she pulled out our passports and she brought out a huge paper map because this was you know in the 80s yeah. and uh we mapped out the route from germany to go to Strasbourg, france and we left for the day and i navigated that trip oh with my the God. paper map in and a we- car in a car car and and we went to france for the day and then uh we came by the time we got back it was midnight we it was a whole day excursion there were no cell phones at the time she just said to my grandfather mel and i are taking adventure don't ask where we're going we'll just be back and he's like oh okay there there goes connie with you know one of her whatever <laughs> thing and she's my namesake that's my middle name i'm melanie uh, Klein. and awesome. so you know i would do things like that with with my grandmother and it was really exciting and she would you know we would spend a lot of time in nature she would recite poetry like. You know, Keats and Shelley and all of these wonderful things. And she was a painter and she would knit and she gardened and she did all of this wonderful stuff um, that really kind of, I think, allowed me to have a very broad and complex idea of what I could become. Wow. And then I want to give proper credit to my father's mother, to my paternal grandmother. While I did not spend as much time with her, um, she was one of the first women in the United States in the early 60s to. Uh, divorce her husband when they had five kids. Okay, wow. she had she had five kids under the age of seven. I think by the time she was twenty six years old, um, and she, you know, her husband was going to get his degrees at USC, and he became a huge engineer here in LA. And she had her own aspirations that because she was a mother of five, she wasn't able to fulfill. So she made a decision way before. I would say the second wave of feminism where the women's liberation movement started and she divorced her husband um they split up the kids he took the three boys she took the two girls she pursued her own career and then she became a world traveler she um hiked mount kilimanjaro she um she walked from la to washington dc in 1985 over nine months for nuclear disarmament as part of the great peace march so i have to say that I don't have your usual upbringing the the women in my life even my mother who you know left her quote conservative german household and came to la and met this dude this hippie dude my dad um i i had a lot of different examples of what it could mean to be a woman um, what that might mean for my family structure what that might mean for my career and so yeah that that is the most profound influence that i had and there's many others but i'd say the most profound influence on um who i am today and honestly the work that i do today
0: and those 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 are actually some massive influences i mean yes when you have that much diversification in i mean that's 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 crazy. I did not know all that. So, you know, so, can and I, I don't say, mean crazy in a bad way, by the way. Oh,
1: no, absolutely. I, and Ken, I have to say, I love that you asked me because as mm-hmm. I was sharing these stories, I was thinking to myself, I don't think I've ever shared that in a public interview. Like I've wow. shared little bits about my grandmother's and I certainly tell some of these stories to friends. But um, I actually really love the fact that I've had the opportunity to share some of that and kind of excavate some of that history today, yeah. because, you know, uh, while I love it I usually oftentimes answer a lot of the same questions and interviews and about my work and so this is really fun for me because like I said I think our personal stories are just all of them are interesting everybody has something wonderful to share and so um being able to talk about both of my grandmothers today and even share that road trip to France is uh it's a pretty fun way to actually start the new year by reflecting on how I got here
0: well, and I think, you know, I think a lot of people, <clears throat> a lot of people live in um, the past. In other words, they get stuck in the pain, the painful parts of it and and don't move far beyond that. And, you know, I've thought about this a lot. I've actually, I've, I've been in, I've been in counsel. I was in counseling for years as a teenager and, and you know, going through like processing all of the stuff, the bad stuff, Right. And today, I think I shared with you, I've shared with most of my audience that, you know, I have 17 and a half years of sobriety and recovery and, and, you know, I like, I used to blame the bad stuff. That's why I drink. And and now it's like, that's what created me. That's what actually formed me into the empathetic and 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 probably certain levels of intelligence and awareness that i wouldn't <laughs> have had otherwise right yeah absolutely like, it gives me a unique perspective and i think that and i love that because i've never been to europe my wife speaks french so she's mm-hmm. she's spent a lot of time in france but um you know i've never been there and i've always admired people that have traveled throughout europe and i think that's amazing so i i i love that part of your story so so let me ask so you went to um elementary school and and middle school high school all of that in california right i did yeah okay um and then typical valley girl <laughs> yeah like oh my god
1: absolutely <laughs> like, i hung like, out at the totally. Galleria, the whole deal
0: i love that so mm-hmm. so you you went to college because i know now you're a college professor yes and i forgot about that until you said that a few minutes ago so i forgot you're a college professor oh my gosh i feel so dumb now you're
1: perfect (laughs) ken listen i i i i will say it's like um first of all i i think there's something really important about like you said having real people real talk real stories Mm -hmm. i love that Um, because we all have something powerful to share. And too often people get caught up in these hierarchies about who's more credible, who's more intelligent, who has more to offer. We all have something so beautiful to offer. And some of the most important people in my life were not college educated. In fact, you know, one of my yoga teachers who I met in 1996 and practiced with one of my mentors who are still great friends, he was a high school dropout. And he is one of the most wise, profound people um yeah. world and in my life so um i think there's something really important to be said about how if we can all step to the table and see that we we all have equal worth and value then we will get so much further in our own healing as a culture because yeah. we're, we're, we're able to really um you know reap the benefits of of everyone and yeah. that's to be honest it's been one of my big missions Uh, i really mean that sincerely when i ended up going into um, community college that happened after like you said i'd gone to elementary middle and high school private schools here in southern california my father uh, felt it was really important especially as um, someone who i didn't speak english when i moved back here at that point to be in a private school Um, he had gone to LA public schools and he wanted me to go there and then very quickly found that he loved the kind of education I was getting. So I continued and I'll be quite honest, Ken, I thought, God, given my peer group, especially in high school, I thought I was stupid. I mean, all of my peers ended up going to like Cornell and NYU and Stanford, and they were very clear on where they wanted to go right out of high school and I had no clue at that point. I mean, I I did well as a student, but I'll be very honest, Ken, I didn't really work too hard as a student. It was kind of easy for me. So I did the bare minimum um, and I would get an A and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I, I kind of was able to, you know, skim by. And then when it was time to get ready for college, you know, I had two parents who were not college educated, um my mother first of all was from a different country so her thing was always like hey i don't speak english i didn't go to school here i'm not sure how to help you my dad was a carpenter right and who had graduated from the local high school uh my parents had me when they were 21 he needed to work and so i didn't have any i would say guidance around going into college um their best effort was sending me to a college prep school and yet I didn't really seek out the guidance that I needed. So I was like, well, where do I go? So I went to the local college, dropped out after a year, moved to Hawaii, had no clue what I was doing. And then after living in Hawaii for a few months, I went, "Okay, this is certainly not it either. I'm going to go back. I didn't know what to do, given that I had dropped out of college. And someone's like, oh, you can go to the local community college and thus began my love affair with honestly community colleges and that's where i met my first mentor hey holly thanks for watching and um that was a time where i think my self-esteem was really bolstered around what i could be by my first mentor in community college because coming out of high school uh, i'll be honest i was just dumbfounded by the entire process i felt confused and as a result i didn't feel honestly, smart enough to do much. And I'll even say that I think one of my biggest goals at the time was I was hoping I would marry someone who uh, could take care of me because I really didn't think I could take care of myself. And then that all changed when I went to community college and uh, you know got older. But it's sort of a wonderful example of you can think that you're not bright. You can think you're not smart. You can think that you're not capable. And not only is that not true, you can absolutely change that reality as you start to do some of the deeper work which is what i started to do at that time
0: but i have so i have a question and and you're Mm -hmm. a professor of sociology
1: sociology and women's studies although i only teach about two on the ground classes now i've done that for 17 years and for the last few years my my primary work is having a full roster of coaching clients at this point okay yeah so
0: um i you know, I, I shared with you. I'm. I didn't graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I had all college prep courses, but they said biology is a requirement, and I'm like, yeah, I I didn't like that. I would really. probably feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, you have to have it to graduate. And I'm like, that's stupid. I'm never gonna dissect a frog again, you idiots. But anyway, whatever. So I I walked out, and 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 so, you know, and for a long time, I felt like. Really less than, but you know, Mm -hmm. since then, I've employed a whole lot of college graduates that (laughs) we won't even go there. But, um, oh, I
1: get (laughs) (laughs) you,
0: I won't go there. But, but the you know, I think that at you know, we're as a society, I think we put so much ridiculous pressure on 18 and 19 year old children because they're still children on what they should be, and it's like, dude. I'm I, I didn't. I'm 51 years old and I'm still not sure what I should be. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But like, I think what? we put way too much pressure on an 18 year old to say, hey man, go, you're gonna be a dentist, go to dental school, get $300,000 in debt and go work on people's teeth or, or whatever it is. I, I, and I might be wrong, but I actually saw a video, somebody way smarter than me put out a video talking about this the other day and
1: i was like this is we're we're pressuring our kids do you agree or not i i do i i don't think everyone has the same trajectory at all i mean um there there were a few things going through my mind as you were talking that actually even goes back to earlier questions that i didn't completely answer yet but one of them is you know um i've met some phds who i am completely unimpressed with i have met people like i mentioned you know my, my my yoga teacher you being one of them as well who are profoundly knowledgeable and capable and have so much to offer who did not graduate high school you know, my father, who does have a high school education, also incredibly sharp, incredibly talented, right, Did not go to college. So I think that we make this you know sort of one-dimensional measure of success and a one-dimensional measure of, you know what it means to sort of fulfill our life purpose. And I think that's I think that's really problematic. Uh, I think about my own son a couple of years ago. He was eight at the time. We were driving the car. I mentioned something about college. He obviously knows that I'm a professor. He has gone to my classes since he was probably two or three years old uh, and seen his mom in action. But at one point, he said, you know, Mom, I don't know if I'm going to go to college. And I, I looked into the rear view mirror as I was driving. I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, I, I don't know if that's for me. And he's eight. And I said, OK, why, why is that? And we started talking. And he was talking about his art because he's an artist. I said, well, did you know that there are art colleges? I said, like the Otis College of Design here in Los Angeles. And he said, oh. And he paused and he said, so, are you telling me uh, there's a college where I can go and do art all day? I said, Oh, yeah, you can learn different mediums. And we talked about it. So, he was excited. And so, that summer, I sent him to their youth summer camp. So, wow. he'd have the experience of going to a real college. So, he went to Otis College of Design the last two summers for these two week programs. But I've understood very early on he's very different than I am. His brain works differently, he problem solves differently. Um, he's incredibly bright. And yet, I mean, honestly after this call with you i'm gonna go check out some math tutoring for him <laughs> he he has you know he it, it doesn't work like that for him the way it worked for me that i could just kind of you know skid past everything and get a's like he has yeah. to work differently and so i i'm a firm believer that we yeah we really need to create you know alternate measures and we need to have a more expansive definition of success and fulfillment and what path that we can go on it not everyone has the same path and i'll be honest i was not necessarily a huge fan of college either <laughs> and um a lot of what I- that's I- your employer <laughs> no I-, I i tell my students because here's the thing a lot of the ways that i teach and i mentor and i coach and the um you know the assignments and the points of execution that i give the people that i'm appointed to is very much to make sure that they don't do what I did. I make sure everything is relevant. I make sure that it really serves them. And ultimately, at the end of the day, um, my work in all those uh, areas are about raising consciousness, that the best thing that can happen for me is that they walk out of my classroom or they complete their coaching contract with me, and they have a newfound sense of awareness and a raised consciousness that allows them to make very authentic and integrous decisions on their own then i'm like my job is complete and i feel like that's a lot more than i was given although i was given a very good education but there wasn't that much emphasis on that that didn't come until i really found mindfulness practices and i talk about how i landed in that community college classroom which kind of helped me to um, have a new relationship with school and my own intelligence and I found mindfulness practices. And between the two of them, that is really, uh, aside from my, my, the women in my life, that becomes the next, I think, big profound influence on my life, is how can I be a multidimensional human being? How can I be more than my brain or my body? How can I actually really you know, tap more into my intuition? How can I expand, you know? My, my heart and my empathy, How can I become a more conscious human and get to know myself in a, a fully dimensional way? And so when I combined, you know the sociological imagination with um, you know, mindfulness and my yoga practice, that is really, I think, the unique alchemy that not only influences my work today, but definitely was the big game changer for my life because, like you were saying, Ken, a lot of times we, you know, hang on to the past and I certainly know I did. And I was very resentful around the fact that I had to move to this country that I didn't want to move to. I was resentful around a lot of things. Yeah. And, and then I decided that this never, that's not going to help me. And I needed to grow. And this was the time where I grew intellectually, spiritually, and personally, and I recognize how valuable. Actually, my upbringing was that I have sort of equal measure street smarts, uh, spiritual insight, and you know, kind of academic learning. And thank you, Susan. That is like the biggest compliment you can give me. (laughs) I know. I probably would have too. (laughs) That is yeah. And and so yes, and that's what I want to offer. You know, the people who work with me one on one and my my students and people that I mentor is. yeah, I just I want to make sure that they are able to come authentically into themselves and by being able to speak in academic jargon yet at the same time relate to people of many different socioeconomic classes and ethnic backgrounds has been very beneficial because I have made sure that the people who are in front of me either on the computer screen or in the seats feel seen. I feel that's one of the most important things we can offer people is that they really feel witnessed seen and feel very heard and um that's one of my biggest missions because i know when that happens and people really begin to flourish and thrive in who they are we as a society all benefit from the gifts that they have to offer otherwise we miss them personally and we miss them as a as a group you know
0: i agree i agree i told you that in um and i don't even remember why but sociology was like my favorite favorite subject in in school and the only thing the (laughs) only thing that i remember from in this sociology in high school but was the the and i told you this and you looked at me like like no there's so much more to it than that but it was the tell the story to somebody and then they tell somebody and they tell somebody and they and then by the time it went around the whole class it, it came back and it was not even remotely even close to the same story i forget what that was but i'm sure you know what i'm talking about oh
1: you did that exercise in your high school social class
0: yeah yeah where the teacher takes the first student out in the hall tells them a story and then they tell you know and then you just and by the end it was like it wasn't even close to the same story like well it was, it's
1: it's like the it's like the adult version of telephone and when yeah. it comes to sociology it's just really um understanding how you know you can have something happen or you know politically or economically or we can read or watch something or witness something in person and three people are going to walk away with three different experiences of that yeah because we are not unbiased even in our own lives we are coming to the table with everything that we've learned, everything that we've taken in up until that point. Right. Um, and that's that's our filter, or that's our lens. right? And so right. that is why, actually, Ken, I love that you brought that up, why my mindfulness practice was so powerful. Because as I was intellectually understanding and deconstructing the ways in which I had learned things about the world or the ways in which i'd come to know myself as a woman or the ways in which my self-identity was constructed it was one thing to understand it and analyze it but going into mindfulness and embodied practices that's where i learned to feel and experience something else so that's why coupled together it really allowed me to when we when i was talking about you know um kind of challenging paradigms, challenge and reframe my reality. It's how I was able to, on a multidimensional level, begin to break down those paradigms and construct new ones, ones that were more of my choosing as opposed to the ones that I had you know, essentially um, taken in. Because when we think about socialization, what we are in essence are doing is we are internalizing society and its norms into us to the point where we think it's normal as opposed to normative where we think well this is just how things are naturally it's like no it didn't grow that way there's nothing natural about it we've internalized it so deeply that it becomes an expectation a norm as opposed to something normal and so this also relates to then um, my work you know in terms of empowering folks both as a professor a writer and as an empowerment coach. Is that actually we get to create this new level of awareness and then we get to choose we get to have choice into the equation and we can empower ourselves to see things differently we can begin to see things more clearly and we can choose the things that we really want to do and say as opposed to the things that we have been enculturated with the things that we have learned from our parents, from uh, the church, the mosque, the temple, from the media, you know, whatever it happens to be. And, and that was what was so powerful is that I went from a place of feeling like I couldn't amount to more than someone's wife to, oh, I, I can actually do a lot and that my voice can be incredibly important. I would have never imagined. 25, 30 years ago, that I would have had written books, that I would have edited books, that I would have community platforms, that I would be a professor, that I would be coaching incredibly high level, high performing people to their next spot. Um, that all came through that unique combination of the, you know, really developing the intellect and developing my mindfulness practices and realizing I had a lot more control and choice than I imagined.
0: And I love that that you are, and gosh, I don't even know how to say this. <clears throat> so please don't anybody hate me for what I'm getting ready to oh, say. No.
1: No, but no! Like, I love the
0: disclaimer, Kevin. I, <laughs> I know. But like, there's a lot of women that are, and I don't want to say feminists or, because I don't think, I don't want, I hate labels, but there's a lot of women that say similar things like I found my and you can tell they're like pissed off <laughs> mm-hmm. at men like you've held me back and it's like no dude you held yourself back but but like do you do you watch uh yeah you, you know who uh Dr. Joe Dispenza is right oh
1: god yes I'm just listening I, to a podcast interview with him the other day I,
0: I love 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 him me he's too. gonna be on my show I'm putting that out to the universe
1: yes so, manifest that Ken
0: so you know he talks about that, you know, we're walking around, we, you know, 60 to 80,000 thoughts per day. Mm-hmm. And, and that 90% of our thoughts that we have today are the same exact thoughts that we had yesterday. That's right. And, and, and I love this part, and that we're actually 50% of the stories we're telling ourselves are made up. They're not even true.
1: Oh my god, yes. Yes to all of it.
0: We're embellishing the crap out of stuff that that happened in the past that didn't even happen.
1: Yes. You know, there. there's a few things I want to say. I don't know if you had a specific question or you're just bringing him up. No, I'm
0: just bringing him up because I, I love this guy.
1: Yes. You've given me a, a lot already. I mean, you don't have to give me, you don't have to seed me too much to get a lot out of, out of me. I love right? it. And we're um, running out of
0: time already. That's I know. I was
1: like looking at that. I'm like, what? We need two hours. But. Um, <laughs> let me say a couple things one yes that's absolutely true which is why mindfulness practices are so powerful it's it's not enough to just deconstruct or analyze or intellectualize things as I was saying earlier it's really important that we actually begin to go into you know neurologically reprogramming and having a different embodied experience so I, I you're very much on point there the other thing um i wanted to say is you know in sociology there there's a term that i love or a theorem called the thomas theorem and it says that when people define situations as real they're real in their consequences so mm. that that kind of goes into that in terms of when we have been socialized a certain way we have a certain set of values and a certain set of expectations and we've had a you know certain set of experiences happen to us that we then really don't into any situation uh, objectively and we have certain projections and expectations and so when things happen we see them through that filter and we respond to them as if our belief system is true and we make them true through our actions so that's another kind of you know vein into what you were talking about that i want to share in terms of what you were saying about women and anger, um, God, there's so much. That's that's like a whole interview. Nobody, on its own. Hate me, please. Don't hate me. <laughs> no, listen, here, here's the thing. Even in my classes, I'm really proud to say when I first started teaching women's studies in 2004, I had one young man in the class. Um, when, and like I said, I only teach two on the ground classes a semester at a time now. But when I do, I almost have half my classmen. Because wow. what I did very early on was create a container. Where everybody come to the table, and I establish the fact that we all want to be heard, that we want to be very open minded, and that we had a unique opportunity in the classroom to have someone like you say, "Hey, this is the experience I get," and be open to why is that, and how else could I see that, and to have a really great uh, conversation that maybe we wouldn't have outside of that, you know, that particular um, setting, and so. Um, You know men and women of all backgrounds knew that they could come to my classroom and it was a safe and brave space to have really complex and confronting conversations in a way that where there was no individual blame um to be assigned if you will because with my sociology background you know as i evolved as a feminist myself i will say ken i when i started i was fuck men you're to blame and you know there was a lot of anger there was a lot of anger and really? i think it was you know, imp-
0: you've, you've let go then
1: well yeah and i think my anger was really important and i talk about anger a lot and there's a lot of books that are out right now actually on women in anger that is really powerful that i'm happy to share um with your listeners you know i can put it in show notes or put comments but sometimes you know especially for marginalized groups our the anger is a catalyst. It's an energy. It's a momentum. And sometimes yeah. there's not room to speak out about the injustice because there's two things. You, you know, you had said, um, yeah, you you hold yourselves back that's true and no we do have structural obstacles but at the same time a lot of that becomes internalized it's called internalized oppression so we're dealing with not only structural obstacles right but then we're also dealing with the ways in which we've come to believe that we're not capable we're not worthy etc etc so we then you know we may be held back structurally but then we add to that by doubting ourselves, diminishing ourselves based on the cultural narrative that we're internalizing. And so one of the things that I do in my work is I do all the inner work, but I don't pretend that there's not outer work to do. So I advocate for structural and social change at the same time that I advocate that we do our own personal growth work. And that's where I think it's really powerful. So I no longer just assign individual blame because as a sociologist I can't deny the fact well we live in we live in a society and a society is much bigger than any of us as individuals and it's not so much individual men that are the problem it's patriarchy as a system that's a problem and not only is that system a problem for girls and women that system is a problem for boys and men it becomes limiting to boys and men as well in terms of the ways in which they feel that they can express themselves or the ways in which they can communicate or yep. their own notions of what does it mean to be a man in our culture. So. For me, when I, I, I it was a very exciting and igniting time to allow my anger to move me into action in terms of my social justice work, in terms of my academic work, in terms of my personal work. And then as time went on, I realized, okay, this is a much bigger thing. This is actually about the culture that we live in and how, how do we rewrite you know these narratives how do we have a greater diversity of representation how do we um you know really shift our values and that's why in addition to doing my personal work and the, the growth work i do with my clients i've also done a lot of adv- advocacy work over the last 20 years in terms of representation and you know who has a voice and how uh, diverse and full-bodied that voice is so I, I i like to work on multiple levels and i think it's important for people to do that as well because on one hand if we're only focusing on the system and not doing the personal growth work there's a limitation but if we're only doing the quote inner work and we're not paying attention to the outer world there's also a limitation to that so i think it's very important that we work on multiple levels and in multiple ways simultaneously to really really truly affect change for all of us
0: i you know <clears throat> again i think that um, and personally and i i think i i think that if we and you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think that the more that we focus on as a a human race like Mm -hmm. i look at these things like the 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 crazies that are going into churches and schools and doing the and i think who did that to you like and how did how could you be so stuck in that that you would do something that horrendous and and i think about that stuff and i think what I mean I we've all been we all are carrying you know are bearing our own crosses right we're all walking around carrying this this stuff and it's like how do we on on a societal scale how do we like convince people like man look at you look at the learn go meditate <laughs> like like seriously meditate
1: like it's there the answers are there like like work on you You know, and Mm -hmm. well, there's a few things um, and it goes back to something you said earlier that I'm glad we're coming back to Um, on one hand. Absolutely. There's there's the importance of that self growth work and that introspection, that self reflexivity, um, learning how to train and control our minds and our actions. And yet. The truth is that's that's not necessarily um something that is available in terms of even people knowing that or how to seek it out i mean that was not anything that was just landed in my lap i sought that out right Right. for sure and so I do a lot of work around the accessibility to these practices and techniques to making them much more democratic in nature, so that everyone has access. Yeah, and we've definitely grown as a society to making sure that that's possible. But it's certainly not true everywhere, right? Right, right. The, the other thing is, while we have that going on, we have to look at all of the different social variables. If we, you know, we bring in social class, if we're bringing in, you know, racial and ethnic background, we're bringing in all of these different things, and um, you know beginning to to when you were talking about how our self-identity grows how our perception of self comes into play and you had said you know parents and this and that and i said for sure and a lot of times um there people are so quick to blame families for everything and parents for everything especially mothers to be quite honest which right. assumes that you know mothers are doing that kind of care work on their own that's a whole another yeah. conversation yeah but the truth is We're all raising society's children, every single one of us, even if we don't have children, even if we're just someone's neighbor, if we're someone's auntie or uncle, uh, the media. Like, In fact, if you actually do the math, children are spending less time with their parents or their uh, guardians than they are with school and their tablets and things of that nature so we really have to kind of zoom out as opposed to going well what was wrong with those parents it's like it's actually just not about that we have to take a holistic look at how are we operating as a culture what are our value systems where are the checks and balances and making these kinds of um Tools available, uh, more accessible to you know people who are not just privileged enough to very easily get them. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And so, again, so
0: it's, basically, it's all Cardi B's fault.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be reductionist, but yes. <laughs> I'm just a, kidding. I know. I'm totally I know, kidding. I know. Yeah. But, no hate
0: mail. No hate mail. No
1: hate mail. Oh, no, there's girl. there's a lot going on, and I yeah. think people miss that. I think. You know, to be honest, we're in an anti-intellectual um, phase in our in our country and as our, our culture, which I I don't think is an accident. That is by design. I know that you know. However, anyone voted politically uh, in the two thousand eight and um, two thousand twelve election doesn't matter. The point was a lot of people did not like that Obama was professorial and that he didn't give yes or no answers. He was not binary in nature our culture is like give me a yes or no and you're like about this complex issue there's a lot of ins and outs and what have you how can you just give a yes or no and so you know in the same way people like i just want the single solution it's the parents fault it's the mom's fault it's cardi b's fault it's you know it's 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 rock and roll's fault i mean go back to the movies that was the refrain it's like
0: it's elvis right
1: exactly we we need to we need to be able to think bigger and become more critical thinkers and more conscious citizens, which is yeah. why I'm so passionate about this work, and I've also done a lot in the realm of media literacy education yeah. because I feel like we're at a, in a time and space where you know a large swath of this country is not prepared to think, you know critically or analytically, they're very much thinking in terms of binaries and yes or nos, and if they can't fit into one box or the other you know right. they they look for a scapegoat to make right. it easier
0: that's um that, that's that's somewhat normal i think that's 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 fairly normal so <clears throat> i cannot believe we're out of time <clears throat> i mean I <laughs> you're out, you're out of time i'm not i got all day but but i know you have to go but let me ask you um and yeah. i ask i ask all my guests these and so we're going to have to answer these quickly
1: yeah please
0: um you know, I have had in in life, in business, and just in life, um, many times where there was more um month than there was money. Um, there was more, you know, I, I've had a car repossessed in front of employees that worked for me. I mean, I've had all kinds of you know challenges and 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 wanted to give up, you know, wanted mm. to stop, wanted to just go you know what let me just go settle for a paycheck somewhere or whatever like and i'm not nothing against somebody that sure. has a paycheck i'm i'm just not cut out for that but for the person that is struggling right now that that just can't seem to grasp a hold of the the horns of success and we'll say the gauge is financial but we know there's a lot more to it than that what do you say to that person to help them push through keep going and not give up
1: you know i i think one of the most important things is to really dig down deep inside and feel like what are you really driven towards like what is compelling you because i know for me there were so many times i dealt with so much adversity including financially and wanted to give up and just like lay down right and yet I felt compelled and I kept kind of answering the call about what was compelling me and driving me forward and I just kept going and looking for the next thing that was going to give me the insight or the possibility to get to the next thing. So um, there was just a really deep um, commitment to what I felt was driving me in terms of my purpose. And uh, that became more important than all the obstacles. Uh, I was very clear that I I wanted more than what I was experiencing. And that even though I didn't know how it was going to happen, that there was a way around that. And and I've done that for the last, you know, 25, 26 years at this point and it's served me incredibly well. Um, it serves my clients well. So it's like keep coming back to the desire and the drive.
0: Love that. To the person that um, maybe their car was repoed last week and their electric's getting shut off tomorrow and they're they're losing hope. Because let's face it, we have an epidemic of suicide in this country mm-hmm. as well um that, that that calls you and says i don't know what to do i don't know what to do i've lost all hope and i don't know which way to turn mm-hmm. um what do you say to them in that moment to to, and i'm sure there's a lot of questions um but but what do you say to give that person hope like mm-hmm. to keep going
1: i think to distill it because you said there's a lot more and right. it just came to me as you were asking the questions i was like these three c's came up get creative, get curious, and connect. <laughs> those have really worked well for me is to reach out when I don't want to reach out, make connections when the last thing I want to do is talk to anybody and I just want to hide under the covers, like connect. Creativity and curiosity has been great for me where I'm like, OK, I'm I'm only looking at this one way from one angle, one perspective. I'm only seeing one kind of solution and starting to kind of push those boundaries out what are all the different ways that I can deal with this? How can I get creative? How can I get curious about the ways I can get creative? And um, I, I found that to also work incredibly well for me. And I think there's, there's, some, there's some incredible power for people to harness there.
0: Get creative. I love, love, love that. People don't understand. I mean, look, every religion in the world refers to God as the creator. And it's like, dude, you want to like, get close to God, start getting creative.
1: I used to talk about creative financing when I couldn't figure out, I'm like, I'm gonna go into creative financing, which meant I was looking beyond only getting a paycheck, only working here or working in that way. So creativity, curiosity, and connection.
0: I love that, love, love, love that. Melanie, I could talk to you all day.
1: I know, same here, I love it. (laughs) I
0: freaking adore you, I think you're awesome listen i want to do something else with you another show or maybe a weekly thing
1: <laughs> whatever and you know how to find me i, I mean it only took eight again. months
0: to get you on this show
1: <laughs> eight weeks dude oh, eight eight weeks. weeks. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm but crazy. yeah i would love that and thank you to everybody who tuned in and posted comments it's been such a delight um and yeah we will be in touch for sure
0: where can they follow you where's the best place
1: Yep. Um, I love being an Instagram. So people can find me at Mel Mel Klein. That's M-E-L-M-E-L-K-L-E-I-N. And then my website is Melanie C. Don't forget the C for Connie. Melanie C. Klein.com.
0: Melanie C. Klein.com. We'll drop that in the, in the, um, the show notes and in the comments. And Melanie, you rock. Thank you so much. And we will see. Don't hang up on me yet. We'll see you guys later. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thanks everybody. All right. We'll see you guys later.